Welcome to Momentum Church. We're going to get right into the Word today, and um, this is a four-week of a supposed to be a five-week series on above the line. But last Sunday, as I was teaching, I decided just to hold back a little bit because I felt like there was more I wanted to bring. And so today, we're adding an, an extra day in this series. So there's going to be two more after this. Okay. And so, how many's been enjoying the above the line series? Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since we've had a series where I have people calling and, and texting and writing, and this is changing my decisions and all those kinds of things. And, and so thank God. I, I love when we can take those biblical ought-tos and give some practical how-tos in causing those things to be lived out in our lives. And so what I want to do is stand to our feet, because we love to stand for the Word as we read the Word of God that first time. And um, I'm going to adjust my, my hearing aid is doing weird stuff. I'm sorry, guys. There. Oh, that's going to be so much better. I'm going to preach so good. <laughs> oh, now I can hear myself. That's better. I, I, it was weird. I just couldn't tell what I was doing. So, <laughs> all right. So we're going to get into the Word of God. And, um, and today, this isn't my normal kind of style, all right? So um, you just have to kind of work with it and take notes and, and have your life changed. Amen? So the story we're going to go look at is a parable where a man who has means is leaving his property for a far journey, and he brings some of his workers in, and he is going to give them a talent, something that they're going to be responsible for, and his expectation is when he comes back, there'll be an increase of that talent. Now, that talent, I think, was money, okay, or something of that nature. This is not a money sermon. Amen? Somebody's like, man, it's my first time here, and he's always preaching, already preaching on money. No, no, this isn't a money sermon. This is a life sermon. This is everything that God puts in our disposal is the talent. It's the resource. It's that thing that he provides for us and says, okay, now, do something with You wanted to marry her, and she finally said, yes, you better do something with that girl now. When I say do something, I don't mean something. I mean, like, you change. You be the man that, she's, that you think she deserves, right? I, I gave you this house. You better do, I gave you this business. I gave you, I brought you to an awesome church <laughs> with an incredible pastor. No, I'm teasing. No. <laughs> Don't you sit on your hands, amen? Come on, right? Don't you? No, I gave you some good stuff. You're going to do something with, like, like, that's what's going on here. And so we see that he gives one man five talents, another man two talents, and another one one, according to each man's ability. In other words, this master, he knows these workers. He knows their dedication. He knows their level of understanding. He, he's been involved in their lives. This isn't, he knows their abilities, all right? And so we see the story go down, that when it came down to the one man, there was one who had received one talent, okay? And this man, he ends up digging a hole in the ground and he hides his master's money. The others went and invested it. But this guy just hid his master's money. And I know you're standing. I stand the whole sermon. So just hold on. Matthew 25. Let's go to verse 20. Ready? And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here, and I have made five talents more. He doubled his money. Say, mo money, mo money. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. He doubled it, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here, and I've made two talents more. So in other words, he doubled his money. Say more money. I do believe God wants us to have more in life, amen. I'm not sure about the finances. I'm not going there. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I think having something is better than being broke. I've been both. (laughs) He says here, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There should be something that rings true in your ears when you hear that commendation. And the reason why is that's what we all want to hear when we get to heaven. We want to get there and we want Jesus to look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Enter into the rest. Enter into what I have for you. Every one of us ought to live a life where we say, okay, God, everything that you have given me, everything at my disposal, everything in my life, God, I want to steward it so well that there comes a moment in a time when I look in the eyes of Jesus and he says, well done. I want that. Do you want that? I want that. I don't want that out of a fear of him. No. I want that because he's a good master. I want that because I think he deserves a good ROI, right? I think, I think he's a good master. He deserves me to bring back to the table just a little bit more than what he's already given me. He deserves that. I want that for my life. I want that for, for your life. But watch what happens, all right? Verse Oh, go to 24. It says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Everybody say hard man. We'll come back to this. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That sounds like just a man that knows some business. Like this is a man that has some principles that bring some increase. But his worker saw him just as a hard man reaping. Verse 25, so I was afraid. Say afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Like I, I protected this. It's, it, it didn't, I didn't gain, but I didn't lose. Here's what you have. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. You ought to have invested my money. Even just with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus, over the next few minutes, would you help us, Lord, look like and learn what it looks like to move from below to above the line in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have your seat. So I'm not going to go too deep into refreshing us because we did that last week. But just to help you understand below and above the line, we can see that our lives, there is one thing that you need to be a measure for everything. That's it. Just one thing. And that is this line right here. Just a line. A simple line that you measure your conversations, your attitudes, your investments, that you measure every little thing. Is, uh, is it above the line or is this below the line? 
That's all we need. And what I was showing you is that below the line, what happens is we look at life happening to me. Like, I can't believe this has happened to me, right? And in that kind of mindset, because life is affecting me rather than I'm affecting life, in that mindset, I get pulled into a drama triangle where people are victims, villains, or heroes, or I'm acting as a victim, a villain, or a hero, and I get pulled into this loop where I'm posturing as one of those three, and in that loop, behavior will always be impulsive, it'll always be reactionary, behavior will always be resistant and closed, and you'll find yourself in that loop going into autopilot. That's how you'll find yourself, going into autopilot. The experience of your life is then becoming marked by blame and complaint. That's below the line. And there's many of us, myself included, that we live in this state. And I told you before, these aren't steps, they're states. We're going to struggle with this stuff all our lives, all right? It's a constant reconciling in our hearts to go above the line, go above the line, go above the line. We live in a world that is entropic. We live in a world that things begin to decay and fall apart. So we're always having to bring forth the redemption, if you will. His blood redeemed everything, but his people come with authority. His people come with dominion. We as his believers, we come with some strength, amen? And the things that God has placed his hands to redeem, we begin to enact that, if you will. We begin to see redemption in our marriage, in our finances, in our health, in our, in our, in our business relationships, in, in our church, in our communities, when we go above the line. And so going above the line, that's when true change and growth takes place. True change and growth doesn't take place when we live locked into the drama triangle, but it takes place when we begin to move above the line and we begin to act out life in such a way where, God, I see life is happening by me, not to me. I'm taking authority. I'm having dominion. I'm making decisions. Life isn't just coming to me but it's being created by me. Now, obviously, the things of the Spirit are part of that, and next week we're going to get real deep into that part, okay? But God didn't say, I'll do it all. He didn't. He said, you take dominion. You have authority. You subdue the earth. Amen? It's very much throughout Scripture, mandates are placed upon us, and those commanded blessings of the Lord are often, not almost often, probably every time, I haven't found one that wasn't, is precipitated by an action. Like, do this and this. Walk in this and receive that. Amen? You want to get saved? In other words, you want to come to faith in Jesus? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's a promise, but it's followed by a confession, by some action. Okay? So we come into this by me, like, God, you're going to do a work in us. I know that. But, man, I'm going, to take, I'm going to grab a hold of life and look at what's happening by me, what I'm doing. And so we posture ourselves as a coach, a challenger, or a creator. Or people in our life that are doing things, we view them as a coach, a challenger, and a creator. Now, listen, you may have somebody that's a, that's a villain. And they're coming at you hard, right? And they know they're a villain. they ugly. E-V-I-L, send their honeys back to hell right? (laughs) You ugly. You ugly. I'm sorry. That's, (laughs) but they're they're coming at you ugly, right? But then on the other side, you look at the ugliness. My pastor used to say there's a little bit of truth in everything somebody says. You look at the ugliness. You don't go into that's happening to me, but you look at it and go, what can I create from what they're saying? Is there something in there that does challenge me? 
It may all be just junk, but is there something in there that does challenge me? And if it does, guess what? You may just want to be a victim and keep up this drama and all this stuff, but you know what? I'm going to just go change. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop. I'm going to create. I'm going to be challenged, or I'm going to seek a coach, or I'm going to coach. So that, that's, that's that, that, that conscious triangle. Now, when I say a conscious triangle, I told you last week that sometimes the word consciousness or conscious gets that new agey vibe. If you're a guest, last week I took us through three or four different scriptures to show us how God wants us to live consciously. He wants us to live mindfully. And so consciousness just means to be aware of and responding to one's surroundings. In other words, you're not on autopilot. You're awake. You're alert. You're mindful. That mind is something that is submitted to the Spirit, and discernment is coming, and understanding is coming, and you're, you're, re, you're reflecting on that, and you're making decisions based by, not by reactionary things, but through purposefulness. So when you live consciously, what happens? You go from to me living to by me living. You go from below the line to above the line is what happens. Amen? So I'm not going to go too much further into that, but I will say this, where that posture of of being below the line is impulsive and resistant and reactionary, that posture above the line moves you from a victim posture to one that is creating, one that is being challenged or challenging, one that is, 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 is seeking a coach to understand or to help, or you're coaching somebody to understand or help, not belittling, but coaching someone to understand and to help. And the experience of our life stops being marked by blame and complaint. And the experience of our life starts to be marked by appreciation, thankfulness that all these things will work out for our good. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It all works out for us when we lean into walking above the line, when we lean into what the Lord is trying to teach us. Amen? So, in light of Matthew 25, let's go back there. I want to go back to Matthew 25, and I want to show you in this passage of Scripture this drama and conscious triangle, these drama and conscious triangles, all right? So we can see in the idea of the story, the drama triangle, you can see the victim. He's the one talent guy. I guarantee you, if this master handed out the talents and they were all present at the same time, he walked away going, it's not fair, I only got one talent. Yeah, you only got one talent, but guess what? You have the same opportunity to double it. Right? 100% is 100%. I mean, you got the opportunity to double it. It's, It's all good, right? The master likes them better than me. There's no way I can take a dollar and turn it into a two dollars. It's going to be so much easier for you to take ten and, or five and turn it into ten. This isn't fair. It's, the odds are stacked against me. I don't care how you lay it out. You know that one talent guy. You know he was a victim. Amen? And guess if he's the victim, guess who is the villain? I knew him to be a hard man. The other ones were like, thank you for the money. I'm going to go do something with this. But this guy says, I knew him to be a hard man. He postured himself as a victim, which means you have to have a villain. So the master, rather than being somebody that is, wow, you're giving me an opportunity? You're dropping something into my lap? I'm going to show myself. I'm tired of being the one talent man around here. I'm going to come out of the three talent. I'm going to be a five talent man. I'm going to show you. But no, he victimized himself, and so that means he had to villainize 
the master. Do you see that? I also think the hero is at play, and I still think the hero is the one-talent guy. Why do you think the hero is the one-talent guy? Because he says, I'm going to bury this. I'm going to protect this. In other words, I'm going to be closed. Remember our fixed mind and open-mindedness on the first week of this series? I'm going to be closed. I'm going to close up. I'm, I'm going to bury this. I'm going to protect the status quo. I'm too worried about stepping out, so I'm going to just hold on to this. I'll be the hero. He'll be so happy that I didn't lose what I have. He gave that guy five. He gave the other guy two. He only gave me one because he doesn't think I can handle it. You hear that self, negative self-talk? So that negative self-talk comes, that pity, and you know what? I, I don't want to prove him right that I can't handle it. So I'll just bury it. I'll just put it in the ground. And at least when he comes back, I've proved to him that, yep, I'm still deservant of just a little. And I'm just going to live a little all the rest of my life. That's just how I'm going to live. Scarcity mindset. Can you see that playing out? Let's jump over to the conscious triangle in this story, right? The opportunity is the challenger. According to your ability, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Well, that's below me, but you know what? He's given me an opportunity. I'm going to show him I'm worth more than the buck he gave me. I'm going to more than double this. I'm, not, I'm going to prove it to him. And you receive the challenge, not as something that is vilifying you, but you or, or the villain is, is looking down at you, but you receive this challenge as an opportunity to be validated. This is a great challenge. Ooh, watch what I do with this buck, with this one talent. The coach. Who's the coach in this? I think the master's the coach. He, he looked and he said, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that something that you say like to a ball player? Like, great job, son. Good job. You know, nice hit. You did great. You know, it sounds like a coach. He knew their abilities and rewarded them on behalf of their abilities. That sounds like a coach. You got a kid on a team. I used to coach Macy. Hi, sweetie. Macy was one of my girls back in the day. She was one of the girls I coached. I mean, it was like years ago. She was a fierce, fierce competitor. Now she's a competition. You lift stuff heavy. Don't mess with Macy. That's all I'm saying. But as a coach, if you had a player that, that was eh-ish, you still want to give them some minutes, but you're not going to give them the whole 90. You're going to give them some, you know, just like that guy gave an opportunity, gave some so the master sees those abilities, and he's, he's stretching those players. That's what this master was doing. I guarantee you the master didn't want to come back with that guy only holding on to the money because the master wants to look at that employee and go, good job. You're faithful. Let me give you this opportunity. I think of that with Pastor Brantley all the time when he talks about his, his season, his years of working in the um, 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 HVAC community as a sales manager. And I mean, he would just rise up a little bit. They'd give him another opportunity. He'd show himself forth, rise up a little bit. I, I like it to say it this way. This, is, this wasn't in the first service notes. Make yourself undeniable. Greatest skill you'll ever develop. Just make yourself undeniable. That's it. You know, whatever you're doing, you're going to notice. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work efficient. I'm going to give everything I got because I can control that. Amen? And so the coach, I think, is the master. And then the creator, I think creator is the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy. They got that opportunity. They didn't fret over it. They started creating. They started, we're going to do something with this. And they may not have known they were going to double it. They just knew, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be faithful with this is what I'm going to do. Amen? So what I want to do, I want to walk through with that understanding 
what it takes to go from to me living to by me living. And we looked at it last week. You guys remember to go from to me living to by me living. It takes one word, and that is, what is it? Responsibility. Responsibility. And I want to take that. Last week when I got to that spot, I just felt like God wanted me to slow down on that spot. And that's why we have this another, another teaching today. And so it's not just responsibility. It's embracing radical responsibility. When you embrace radical responsibility, it will move you from life happening to you to life happening by you. Radical responsibility. Our working verse has been Proverbs 4.23, and I know it starts guard your heart, but I want to put a parenthetical insert of the word you into it. You guard your heart, because I think that's how much emphasis is in the scripture. It's not just guard your heart. No, it's like you, you got to guard your heart. You guard your heart for above all else. Why? For it determines the course of your life. You, you want to see the fruit of above the line living, that abundance? Jesus comes to make life and make life more abundant. you got to guard your heart because out of that heart flows the I'm just a victim or I'm the villain or I'm going to save the day, I'm the hero and I run myself ragged. No, guard our hearts for out of our hearts flow life. That sounds like radical responsibility, doesn't it? That scripture. Yeah, and there's two parts to responsibility. This is what I want to really slow down with last week and I just didn't have time. Two parts to this commitment of being responsible. Because it takes a commitment, guys. And, you know, and you're not going to be perfect at this every time. These are not steps. They're states. So there's going to be struggles, and you're just, but you're going to keep working toward getting above the line. So there's a commitment to being responsible, and there's two parts to that commitment. First, we have to commit to taking full responsibility. Say full responsibility. Is that 80% of the responsibility? That's right, full, full responsibility for the circumstances of our lives and for our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. We've got, to, we've got to say, I'm taking full responsibility for these things. Now, I'm not saying that something that somebody's done to you is right, but it's out of your control. But what is in my control, I am taking full, say full responsibility. That's the first thing. Now, here's where it gets really great. Ready for this? Number two, we also have to commit to supporting others to take full responsibility for their lives. They're not going to like that. Just being honest. My prayer in this series is that we become a church that we have these above-the-line principles to where we don't blame and point fingers and all this kind of stuff, but we just take responsibility. For whatever it might be, each of us. We just learn, and then we do that with our families, and we do that with our workmates, and we create this culture of responsibility, personal responsibility, that causes people to stay above the line. See, the opposite of this would be a commitment to blaming others for what's wrong in life. And what that does is that causes people to fall into the hero, victim, villain drama triangle. Now, I want to tell you why. Instead of embracing responsibility, why do we move forth in blame? Why, why do we do that? Blame is easier. That's it. It's just easier to blame than take full responsibility. Your ego, that core of who you're, you are that you're always trying to protect, it likes to not feel that tension. Who you are doesn't want to feel tension. 
And so in not wanting to feel tension, I tell people all the time, it's like the path of least resistance. That's what water does. Your mind's like that. It doesn't want to feel tension. It wants to find the path of least resistance. So when you start to feel that tension and resistance, it's easier to push it off of you and say, it's your fault, you did this, and to cast blame. It's just so much easier to do that than to take full responsibility. So, all right, well, then why do we blame? It's easier, but what's at the core of it? Blame, shame, and guilt, they all stem from the same place. They stem from toxic fear. Let me tie these together, okay? They stem from toxic fear. You may say, but pastor, guilt, I mean, that, like, you want to feel guilty about, no, 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 no. You want to feel convicted about things. Conviction is something where you feel broken by sin. You submit to a holy God. You say, Jesus, you forgive me. But you know what? Repentance, metanoe in the Greek, is a 180-degree change of mind that results in a change in action. That's not guilt. Guilt will have you going, I'll never do that again. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know there's no promise in Scripture for being sorry? There's not one promise in Scripture for apologizing. But there's a whole lot of promises for being repentant. It says times of refreshing come for those who repent. Amen? That's abundance. We're just scarcity. I'll never do that again. I'm so sorry. I'm so stupid. I'm sorry, boss. I crunched the numbers wrong. It happens. I did it this week. I crunched the numbers wrong on, on Thursday for my staff. It made me so mad. I'm good with numbers. And somehow I crunched them wrong. Not my staff, my board. And we had our board meeting, and we made some really neat decisions, and I had to call them back like a half hour afterwards. I crunched those numbers wrong. We're going to have to table that thought until next month, you know, and next September, next month, or yeah, October, we'll talk about it, you know. I was so embarrassed, you know. But you know what? I'm living this out. It's like, I made a bad decision. I owned it. Guess what? I'm not stuck in the drama of it anymore. You know what I used to have done with that? I would have ate on that. I would have, I'm serious. I would have had self-pity. I'm so stupid. The board's not going to ever trust me. They're going to think I was trying to pull something. And blah, 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 blah. You know, was, isn't that true, Amy? You know me. I'd have been the mully grumps for a couple days over a bad decision. You can't make bad decisions in life once in a while. Not a bad decision, but a bad perception, okay? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So blame, shame, and guilt come from the same place, toxic fear. It's our natural human reaction to life that's not going the way we want for it to become anxiousness. Anxiousness and fear, they, they go hand in hand. They really, it's, it's, it's just two sides of the same coin, all right? Fear kicks in, and our natural tendency is to blame someone, something, or someone, someone, something, or even ourselves. Why? Because we're trying to protect our egos. We're trying to protect the core of who, who we are, that part that feels the tension that we hate. And there is a pattern, a simple pattern, that we do trying to protect our egos. And I want to walk you through it, because I just today I just really want us to get our, our minds open a little bit more to what this stuff looks like. And the next two Sundays, we're going to bring a lot of resolution, a lot of things to be able to step out of this stuff. Amen? So the pattern of protecting our ego is simple. Number one, something goes wrong. Doesn't go the way we think it should. That's the first thing. It's like, this isn't going the way it should. When that happens, number two, we become stuck in fear. And you may be like, I'm not afraid. I'm mad. Most of the time, anger is a disguise for fear. It, 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 they just go hand in hand. I'm, a, I'm mad at this. Well, you might be afraid you're going to lose your job. 
I'm mad at that. Might be afraid you're going to lose your wife. You know? I'm mad at this is happening. Afraid of health. Mad of whatever. That anger a lot of times masks fear. <clears throat> That's the second thing. Number three, we blame others or the system or ourselves. That's self-pity. We blame. That's that pattern that we fall into. All right? When we're trying to protect our ego. Number four, finally, if those things happen long enough, if you walk in that, you will begin to solidify your response in the drama triangle. You'll begin to solidify your role as a villain, a victim, or a hero. It's just what happens when we begin to live and stay below the line. Let me tell you a few things about victims, villains, and heroes. Number one, victims. They see themselves at the effect of circumstances. All right? Number two, something is being done to them by someone or something outside of their control. This isn't fair. You're right, it's not. And it may not be fair, but it's yours to fix. We talked about that in the first week. And some things you can't fix, okay. That's a decision. It's a choice. Villains. Here's what villains do. Villains find fault and place blame. They deal with fear or anxiety by pointing the finger, looking for who or what is to blame. Let me ask yourself, do you ever see yourself giving people the finger? Wait, pointing the finger. <laughs> that wasn't in the first service. Do you ever point, do you, just be like, do you find yourself on this side of a finger pointed out? I did. I did. And, and the reason why, and, and I was sharing this in the first service, when I was a little boy, my dad was very violent. My dad's a sweet, precious man of God. But Brian, my nephew's here, Paul was violent when I was little. And you did not want to be in trouble. So as the villain would approach, or as, the, as, as something would happen, I'm sorry, as, as tension would happen, I would become the villain because I had to point to somebody else. Jamie did it. That was my neighbor boy. Jamie did it, Daddy. I didn't do it. Tammy did it. That was my sister. That's his mama. She did do it, usually. <laughs> Tammy did it. Here's the thing. It's cute when you're a kid. Not cute because it was, it was, it was, I went through hell as a little boy until dad got delivered from his violence. And he did. I got a great dad. He looks like Charles Ingalls, you know. He does long hair. I always say mom and daddy look the same from behind now. It's weird. It's got... <laughs> Big, poofy, beautiful hair, both of them. You know, it's like, <laughs> but about, they're both almost 80, you know, just wonderful. But when I was a little boy, man, ooh, that tension. And so you, pull, you get the tension off you. You don't like to feel that. So somebody else did it. Guess what? I carried that into my marriage. Guess what? I carried that into my ministry. The first few years, I would feel tension. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to let people down. I want to be the hero. And I would feel the tension. So I had to become the villain and point to something else. It wasn't my fault. I'm sorry I'm late because this happened, that. It, you know, and I had, a, I had to become a villain and make somebody else or some other thing look bad. Or even make myself look bad. Self-deprecating humor, I was the king at it. And I got convicted of it years ago because it was just constant. I just, I just, I was putting myself down. That wasn't healthy. That wasn't above the line living. So that's villains. Heroes. You think heroes sounds like a good thing, all right? But heroes hate conflict, pain, and tension. They want everything to go really, really good and really well. And so what they do is they seek to temporarily relieve this discomfort without really dealing with issues. 
Like the villain gets in there, he'll come in strong. But the hero wants to save the day, make everybody happy, run themselves ragged. That's, that's what happens. And so what happens, heroes typically take more of their share of responsibility. That means the others around them that should be taking responsibility, they don't. Moms, dads, if you're a hero, mom and dad, you got to stop it. You, you can't save the day every time for your child. At eight years old, yes. At 18, some more. At 28, nah. not so much, you know. And what happens is this leads to burnout and usually doesn't lead others in the circumstances that's causing attention to take their share of responsibility. It just draws you and keeps you in that drama triangle of victim, villain, hero. And it leads a person to keep blame, shame, and guilt going. And it leaves the negative residue of resentment, bitterness, and missed opportunities of learning and growth. Amen? What's the opposite of blaming? The opposite of blaming is taking full responsibility. Everybody say take. Go like this, say take. Take. So if we're taking responsibility, when it comes to blame, what do we do? We don't take blame. We, what we do, we place blame. Everybody push out, place. All right, so take, say take. Say place. All right, we could, we, this is almost like an exercise. All right, this is the above the line exercise. But you take responsibility and you place blame. Placing is moving something away from ourselves. This isn't my fault. I didn't do this. This is on you. you you're placing blame. You're taking this tension and you're moving it outside of your influence and control. This is you and you're placing blame. Whereas taking is moving something towards yourself. I'm moving this towards me. Psychologists call this the locust of control. It's the locust of control. In other words, when we place blame, the locust, we, we locate the cause and control outside of ourselves and outside of our influence. So I'm going through something that's causing all this struggle and tension, and I'm stuck in the hero drama, victim trauma. I'm excusing myself from dealing with it, from being a challenger, a coach, or a creator, and I'm just pushing it outside of my influence and outside of my control. And you're right, momentarily, it relieves the tension, but it doesn't fix anything. So when we take responsibility, we locate the cause and control inside of ourselves and our influence. And I don't want this to sound weird and mystical. Man, it's good for it to get inside ourselves. Why? Because you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? I mean, the Holy Spirit resides with Ross Wiseman. I'm going through some stuff. I want that stuff coming close so that me and Jesus can deal with it. I'm not going to push that stuff away. No, I want to embrace what's going on. Lord, help us here. Be a creator, a challenger, a coach. Let's deal with this. And the Holy Spirit will. Amen? I had to say Holy Ghost because I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> the Holy Ghost. That's how I was raised. The Holy Ghost. <laughs> So here's what's neat about this commitment to responsibility. It seems heavy, but no, no, it doesn't mean that everything rests on us. 
That's what's nice about this idea of a commitment to responsibility being two-part. It also means that we begin to live with an expectation that others take full responsibility for their lives. That's a good thing. When we stop living in the victim, villain, hero mode, we naturally invite others to do the same without even saying a word. It's a beautiful thing. And so I want to give a shout out. A lot of the things I'm, I'm, I've been teaching through this, I'm adding spiritual principles to it. But the guy that wrote a book that I read a couple years ago, uh, his name's Jim Dethmer, and, and wrote this book like in 2014. But it deals with conscious leadership. He he's, he's really goes to corporations and teaches conscious leadership. But man, when I was reading, I'm like, there is so much life in this stuff. This is spiritual. This isn't just a practical, bit, you know, this isn't just man's wisdom. God's all over this, you know. Another leader that I want to speak speak in regards to is coach urban meyer and when i preached the first sunday of this sermon i walked down this aisle and chip Wadega, hello there chip he's a coach he's a great a great man of god and a great school teacher and chip said hey did you read urban's book and i hadn't and i said what's the name of it he said above the line well, i should read that you know so I ordered it, and as I looked at it, you know, it was written in 2015. And as I was looking at it, I was thinking, okay, I wonder if some of Jim's stuff got into Urban stuff or vice versa. It doesn't matter. But in the crux of Urban's book, it, he says this, it's not what happens that matters, it's how you respond. That's what really matters, this responsibility. Remember I told you last week, my definition of responsibility is response-able. response Able. You have an ability to respond or to react to something in a way that's not impulsive, not resistant, not reactionary, not autopilot. You know what I mean? You're responsible. You're response-able. But the way that Urban speaks of it, he, he, he does this formula that he says, he calls um, E plus R equals O. Every one of us are going to go through, I call it situations, circumstances. He calls them events. Events. So we go through events, tension, things that want us to push below the line. In that event, because you can't help but have events, we live, like I said, in a world that decays. It's just part of our world. So in that event, we do have power to make a choice to respond responsibly. So we respond all right? And the event plus the way we choose to respond brings forth the outcome. So that's kind of his little contribution to this whole thing, is the idea that event, response, and outcome. We don't control the events in our life, but we always have control of how we choose to respond to those events. Now, what Urban calls this, he calls it the R factor, which I like. For him, it's the response factor. I'm challenging us to responsibility. So to me, it's the responsibility factor. But that is what moves us from below the line to above the line, from scarcity to abundance, from success or failure to success. And success isn't determined by the situations you experience. Success is determined by how you choose to respond. This is why you have some people that come out of the same issues, the same struggles, and they'll rise to the highest heights in their areas of, 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 of industry or whatever. And you have others, the lowest depths. 
People coming out of the skid, going to Skid Row that grew up on one street, and the others going to Park Avenue. It's, it's just, you know, it, it, it's how you respond. Now, I know there's a whole lot of things at play there. I get that. I'm not trying to simplify this too much. But your choice in how you respond is the factor that determines the quality of your life. Let me say it this way. Every day, you are given opportunities to make decisions on how you will respond in the middle of your circumstances. Every day. And so this morning, I'm going over my notes one last time, and I thought, I'm not a football guy. I'm not even going to try to fake it. I knew Urban Myers was a football coach at one time at Ohio State, because I do like Ohio State, OH. Thank you. Everybody's like, it's a cult. No. <laughs> no, it's just Ohio's almost, it's like an awesome state. Like Ohio and Georgia, two favorite states. And, um, but he was a coach there, I know. But I really didn't know what he was doing right now. I'll just be honest. So I looked up online this morning to find out what's going on with Urban right now. And so guess what? He is a new coach at Jacksonville, um, I was say Bobcats. That ain't right. <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars. That sounds a lot more ferocious. I'm a Bobcat. <laughs> you know, no, that sounds a lot more ferocious. But Jacksonville, <laughs> um, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you got it. And they've went zero for four. Not good. This is a man that's not used to losing like this, right? This is a man that can see things and can change up things on the fly. Why? Because he has an event, he responds, he has an outcome, right? I mean, this is, this is what he teaches his people. This is what he wrote his book on. That's awesome until it's not. It's awesome until there's a challenge. So what happened? He lost Thursday night to the Bengals, all right? And that's where this was going to end. And I was just going to preach this great sermon about this and add this in the middle, you know. And then I looked online to be able to get my facts straight. And I thought I would Google them to see how his career's doing. Well, last night, videos and tweets started to spread about Urban at one of his restaurants, drinking too much and flirting with the college-age girls. Multiple, it, It's ugly. I debated to share this, okay? My wife, I love it when Amy looks at me like, tread lightly, son. Tread lightly. I'm trying, mama. I'm trying. <laughs> but I did. I, you know, and now again, allegedly, right? I saw the video. But allegedly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I debated scrapping his name and the reference from his book. But then I thought, No. This is just shows you how serious this subject is and how no matter who you are, no matter how far you think you've come, my pastor would say, God doesn't mind waiting a lifetime to bring down a general in the faith. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind if I fail in my 50s. He doesn't. It may even be better if I did for the enemy, right? He doesn't mind. No, you got to stay on your game. One of the people commented on the little comments, because they'll do that. One of the people said, he's not used to losing. One of the people said, you know, a horrible thing that happened there. He's back home in Ohio. He's at one of his restaurants, and he's just blowing off steam, and it just got too far. I, you know what? I get it. It's the natural tendency of man to go on autopilot and to gravitate below the line when they have tension. I'm not saying that's right. And I'm going to pray for Urban, amen? I'm not looking down on Urban. You know, it's like, dude, now guess what you got an opportunity? You got an opportunity to have an event, to respond, and watch the outcome. Amen? Let's see what he does with it. That, that's the thing. I'm not going to come back and report on how things go, okay? <laughs> this, is not, this isn't the gossip column. 
But I did. I really debated to share that or not. But I thought, no, this is how life is. And it doesn't just happen to famous people. It happens to preachers, too. It happens to me. This winter and spring, I went through literally the hardest season of my life. And my wife, both of us, went through the hardest challenges of our life. And months went by that we kept it, kept it silent. It wasn't anything between us. But there's people in our lives that we want to have leadership in their lives, and they just wouldn't receive that leadership. There was times when we felt like, why is this happening to us? We have sown good seed. Why, why can't we expect that harvest? What, what is going on with this? This isn't who we are. This wasn't supposed to be our lot. And from January to June, y'all, we went through it. My staff, I talked with them about it. My board, I talked to them about it. We've prayed. Amy and I had countless nights just praying, getting through this. Dude, I'm telling you right now, you know why I'm wearing a suit today? I'm wearing a suit today because it fits. That's why. This is my event response outcome celebration suit right here. No, but I'm, I'm serious. So, you know, you guys know, I've told you the story, man. 300 pounds, I lose 80. I stay within 5 to 10 pounds for 20 months. That's a good win for Russ as an adult. I've never, I've never been that way. And, man, this stuff started happening in the last January, February. Two months, gained 30 pounds. Why? I can't believe this is happening to me. And guess what I do for tension? I go get me food. But this summer, June, I was like, I got to get some help. I got to get this squared away, you know? I'll get to that part of the story here in a second. And so now it's just like, no mas, burrito, no aquí. Mm. You know, it's like no more, you know. And so I lost like 25 pounds since, since remember that Sunday, in, in Adventure Sunday, the Adventure Series? And I said, I got to go do the rim-to-rim hike and all that kind of stuff next year, and I got to get ready. Guys, that wasn't a physical challenge for me. That was a spiritual challenge. Spiritual, because I know where I was going back into that place because of all the stress we've been going through. And so, yeah, I've pulled the suit out today. And then today I've realized why those preachers with suits like this always have a huge sweat towel. Man, you sweat a lot when you, I'm telling you. <laughs> Bigger the towel, holier you are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so here's what happens, right? I, I, I finally, I mean, I even shared with my board I said, guys, I may step down for momentum. If, if I don't see this thing shift, if I don't, I, I just don't, how can I lead if I can't lead in this area? Like, I just, if I can't lead these people, how can I lead these people? Like, I just, you know, literally, that's, that's where I was at. Sounds like pity, right? It's hurt, it's brokenness. But man, I was just below the line from January to June. So here's what happens. So one day, I decide, finally, I'm going to share it with a pastor friend. I hadn't shared with anybody. I shared with, with, with my two closest friends. I shared with my, 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 my board and my staff. That's it. And I thought, I'm going to share it with a pastor. And so I shared with the pastor what I'm going through, what we're going through. And, and, and like detailed, this is exactly what's happening. I need you to be praying for these people. This is what's going on. Blah, 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 blah. About a week goes by, and my wife, I get home from work. And I get a cup of coffee. She's already on the back porch with a cup of coffee. I get a cup of coffee. And I come out to sit with her. And I'm still standing. 
And she says to me, she says, you're not going to be happy. And in my mind, I'm thinking, probably not. You know, <laughs> she's a prophetess. <laughs> Wives, you know when you're about to tick your husband off, right? You know, I would just like maybe some more of this and less of this. No, I'm teasing. No. So no. But she said, you're not. I'm just kidding. But she says, you're not going to be happy. And I said, what? She said, at PK retreat, which is pastor's kids retreat, my son, Maverick, was approached by this man's son. Hey, I hear what your family's going through. Tells him in detail, we're praying for you. Mac didn't even understand half the stuff he was saying at 10 years old and said, I think the boy's 12, and was like, I don't know, you know, well, the boy, thank God, had enough emotional intelligence to back away from it, you know? But my wife tells me this, and I'm just going to be really upfront and honest with you guys. I had a coffee mug. It was her favorite. Not smart. And when she said it, I took that coffee mug and I chucked it into the woods. The bad thing was I didn't just chuck it. I said the F word. Some of you are like elbowing your wife, like husband's like, see, see, pastor does too. <laughs> Nothing I'm proud of. Out of character. I mean, like, and so violent. It was visceral, wasn't it, baby? I mean, it was so visceral that my wife wells up with tears. It scares her. It wasn't directed at her, right? Right? No. <laughs> I'm going to get an email this week from somebody going, you know, spousal abuse is not funny and you don't make fun. It's like, drink your, your haterade. And go. No, I'm teasing. So, no. But, but no, it wasn't. It was straight that direction. But it was, it was a curse, man. Like a vulgar you know, like awful. But that's what was in me, guys. Like from January to June, that's, I just, ah, uh, just so trapped. Why are you doing this to me? I've always done this in your life. Done everything for you. And you're making me a villain. I feel like a victim. I felt like I lived like a hero. And you're making me a villain. <sighs> Give me some food. That's how it was. So it culminates in this moment, and she gets up, and she goes to bed because she don't want to be around me because I'm angry. And I'm like, I'm going to call that guy, you know? Man, everything within me wanted to get ready to call him. But I've already been learning these principles for the last year or so, year and a half. And I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story until next week. <laughs> I'm serious. But I will say this. In June, I begin to look at this situation. I don't want to run ahead of my notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I just already said, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to get to it next week. We're going to get to taking the tension, because you feel tension right now, I get that. We're going to take the tension off by showing how God partners with this, because this isn't just life happening by you. Amen? God's with us. So we're going to look at that. And then the last week, we're going to teach you how to flip the script, how to shift. And that's the part that I did that night. I shifted. I will say that. It came out a really, really neat, neat thing. And I'll share that when we get back. But that's where I was, okay? And in the middle of it, I realized I can't control any other person's decision, but I can control what I can control. I can do what I need to do. And y'all, pastor in June was not healthy. So can I just tell you what I did? I went to a counselor. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor saw a shrink. Pastor saw a shrink. I did. 
And I've gone every couple weeks or so since, you know. The last month I haven't. But, um, but you know, I'm getting ready to go back again. But I, a bunch of times just dealing with this stuff, you know, just trying to help understand. And, and here's the reason why is because when it comes down to it, you are responsible. You take responsibility. And so I want to leave you with this, and we'll be done. It's called the 100% rule. You take responsibility. I am 100% responsible for my feelings. I'm not going to pontificate on these. I'm just going to walk through them. I am 100% responsible for my thoughts. All that doubt, all that pity. I am 100% responsible for my speech and my actions. Can I tell you something? I ran up to the woods. I'm a husband, so about a month later, I ran up to the woods. <laughs> True story. It's like, oh, I gotta get that cup. It wasn't broken. That's Jesus. <laughs> I'm serious. Her favorite mug. Jesus protected it. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> yeah. But 100% responsible for my speech and my actions. 100% responsible for my behavior and 100% responsible for my impact and influence on others. So in that, we created some things to where I'm not responsible for this, but I am responsible for this. And so I'll be a home where I have love, but I'm also a home where I have standards. Come on. And I'm not going to back down standards, but I ain't going to back down on love either. And guess what? To my family, I'm a man of love and a man of standards. And they know it. And they won't shake me on either. It won't shake me either way. I'm going to be a man of standards and a man of love. Why? Because I have a choice. I can have a choice in those things. I'm responsible for my behavior and my impact and influence on others. So if I'm 100% responsible, and I don't want to just say I. It's just easier for me to say I rather than me go, you're, 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 you know. But you say I, right? You are 100% responsible. If I'm 100% responsible then in life, then it's my choice. Other people don't make me mad, sad, or glad. I'm going to walk through this and we're going to be done. I choose to feel mad, sad, or glad. I choose to think mad, sad, or glad. I choose to act mad, sad, or glad. I choose to speak mad, sad, or glad. I choose to behave mad, sad, or glad. It's my choice. Everybody say it's my choice. Yes, we choose to feel, think, act, speak, and behave as we determine. That's the responsibility. Just like I told you, God doesn't want to be a magic lamp. All things work together for the good. And here's all, you know, same way. When he says, go multiply, go have dominion, go have authority, the same way. How are you going to have all that? By making the right choices. By taking responsibility. By choosing to feel, think, act, speak, or behave as we determine. When we have weakness, he doesn't. He has strength. It's not by our power or our might. I'm getting into next week. But it's by the Spirit. But he gives us that authority to have responsibility. I close with Matthew 25 as we go back to that scripture. He said, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. Do you catch that? That's the last part of that verse. They have, they're gonna get more. Why? Because they're living as a coach. They're living as a creator. They're living as a challenger. Or they're seeing other people's involvement in their life as a coach, a creator, or a challenger. But when that happens, Abundance keeps coming. More responsibility, and it brings forth more harvest. You reap. And then you have more responsibility, and you reap more. Now you'll reap more if you'll respond right. 
We all know that. But on the other side, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I never have anything. Nobody ever. That one, why? Locked into the drama triangle. The victim, the villain, the hero. Abundance or scarcity? You choose. Amen? Close your eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning, there's something in your life where you're like, Ross, man, I, I and you're watching online, there, I am going through tension right now, and it is so trying to pull me below the line. Would you raise your hand? Would you, if you're online, man, you can put a, a, a one in the, the comments. We just want to pray for you. I see hands all over. Yeah, Lord, we know that life isn't something that's always going to be easy. But Lord God, we know we can lean into your presence, your power, your authority, and we can respond. You've made us able to respond, to be responsible, and to move above the line, to guard our hearts, for we know out of our heart flows the issues of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.